If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Change Physician Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukaro, and I'm here today with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Melissa Cady, and our returning guest, Dr. Marcy Larson. Um, Dr. Larson came on a, a previous episode and talked about her story, uh, both as a physician, as a parent, uh, her experiences with her podcast, and we wanted her back on the show to really talk about grief, and particularly relevant to physicians is grief, uh, both as a physician and how you can support your patients, family, friends, colleagues uh, through their grief. So Marcy, thanks for coming back on the show. So good to see you. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me back on. All right. Well, and, and the last episode we did, um, really pretty a powerful experience, particularly for me. It was, uh, it's a difficult thing, I think, for anybody to talk about. Really appreciate you coming on and, and describing the events in your life. But could you, can you, can you just return us to the point again and tell us about uh, your experiences as a physician and as a parent and the kind of the background for grief and, uh, uh, and helping people through grief? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of briefly, I feel like I am somebody that's really familiar with grief. I thought that for a long time, actually. I lost my mother when I was... Uh, young in college and kind of felt like I understood grief and knew what that was like. But then life really threw me a curveball when just over two years ago, my 14-year-old son was killed in a car accident. And everything I knew about grief just came back and I just kind of learned that everything was wrong and that things are so much different depending on circumstances. Losing a parent is much different than losing a child. And that is also much different than losing a spouse, which is fortunately something I have not had to experience. But, you know, everyone's grief is unique. um, And I just felt like I have learned so much since then. Uh, The first time, obviously, when I lost my mother, it was shortly before I started training to be a physician. I knew at the time my mom died that I was going to be applying to medical school and going to be going through medicine. So I was actively grieving my mom when going through medical school. But after becoming a physician and then really experiencing grief in such a deep, deep way again, it made me think a lot about what it means to be a physician and grieving and, um, I mean, for a time, I didn't even know if I would be able to go back, if I'd be able to practice pediatrics again. Um, but I'm happy to say that I have. And I feel like now I really want to help physicians be able to understand grief, deal with grief, help patients grieve, help colleagues grieve. It's just become something that's become really, really important to me. Yeah. And, and go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, we know that there was some examples that you, uh, we had talked about last time, I think after the, the show, but could you kind of talk about um, 
uh, we don't want to dwell here, but what are mm-hmm. the, what are some of the things that people will, will think that to do or may think they're helpful that you have found not helpful or in those who have been guests on your podcast who are, again, parents who have lost children um, that you, that you think we, maybe we should avoid these type of, uh, I don't, I don't know what the word to use, these types of potential grief interventions. Well, I feel like as physicians, we are really taught that we are to make things better, right? And that is our role. We try to fix things. We're fixers. And grief is something that you can't fix. And I think when you try too hard to fix it, it will just make people angry. So when you say something like, oh, it's all for the best, or, oh, he's not in any pain anymore, we know that as a grieving family member that those things are true, but please don't just throw it in our face like that because now it actually, what it does is it just makes me feel angry because now, okay, I know he's not in pain anymore, but I still miss him and that's horrible. And now I feel guilty on top of it. So I not only feel the horrible grief, now there's a added layer of guilt. So it doesn't actually make me feel better. It just makes me feel like, oh, now I'm having emotions that I shouldn't really feel. So um, I think that's a really important thing. It's something I didn't have to experience some of those type of things. Like he's not in pain anymore because Andy died instantly. So I didn't have to deal with that. But I've talked to so many parents that do get that or, you know, oh, he's in a better place now, or she doesn't have to suffer anymore, or any of those type of comments that are meant to make you feel better. Instead, just allowing them to be in their grief, allowing us to be sad and sitting there with them saying, I know how hard this must be for you. I understand how difficult this is. I don't have any words to say that can make you feel better right now. That was one of my very favorite things that people said to me was to say, I have no words for you because that was so true. You don't have any words for me. You don't have any words that are going to make things better. So to just acknowledge that, that there's nothing I can do that will make this pain better, but I'm going to be okay sitting with you there in the pain, acknowledging the pain and acknowledging how hard it is. And, and being that you took your voice and your story to uh, the podcast world um, and thanks to you know your husband who already kind of had that um, skill set, he already knew how yeah. to do that for you and help you with that. And I know that he feels like this has been the blessing for what he's been doing, that it was a gift to you and that it's as a gift to the world. Um, But I'm curious through this process of podcasting and hearing these stories, what, what is the biggest lesson, not just on what we shouldn't say or um, should say, what was, what was probably the biggest enlightenment um, for you as an individual because of the other stories that you heard that may have been slightly different. As you said, everyone has a unique experience. Yeah. What I have really found is that people want to tell their story because they want their child or their loved one, their brother, their sister, they want them remembered and they want them to matter. And so sharing that story is just so valuable and important to them I had felt a 
at the beginning, you know, people, I always asked people if they wanted to share their story to, to tell me. And I had people reach out um, and I thought, well, they won't want to tell their story yet. It's too early or they won't want to. But I am very, very surprised that people even very early in their grief really do want to share their story. And even though it's painful and it brings tears to their eyes, they want to share their loved one. And it's, it's really just blown me away. And I feel so blessed to be able to help people do that. And that's what it's at the beginning. It really became a, I just want to help introduce kind of some hope and some healing to people and maybe teach people some things that I have learned. And now I feel like it's just an opportunity for me to let other people share their story and um, just in that, and those stories do help other people. There's no question that they do, but it's nice to have a guest say, wow, that was really helpful to me. That was really powerful to me just to be able to share that in that way. So I, I wanted to ask based off of that and you giving the opportunity for people to share their story, if a physician is in a room with a patient that they know or maybe just find out through the history taking that this person lost somebody, um, whether it's a spouse or a child, um, what would you, be your first things to say to a physician to in a healthy way, approach the topic, whether they're comfortable with it or not. I guess that's the question. What, how would you as a physician talk to, or what words would you use, or how would you behave in that setting um, during a visit? So I think one of the most important things to do would be to find out that person's name right away. And um, if they say they lost their son or they lost their husband, you can say, what was his name? And then use that name um, and say that, oh, that must be ex horribly difficult. You can say, tell me uh, a little bit about John or just to say some words that can be really helpful just to be able to share and acknowledge that I, um, I value that you have lost this person and this person is really, really important to you. Um, don't just say, oh, I'm so sorry and move and quickly move on. Pause there for a second. And if it's just so they can hear that name one more time, if it's just those type of things, it's really, really important just to be able to acknowledge their name, hear their name again. I, someone recently said to me, don't you know that hearing my child's name is like music to my ears? because it's music that you don't get to hear anymore. Um, so to be able to do that, I think is powerful to ask if there's something specific that you can help them with. Um, not, but don't just blow it, just kind of blow it off. And really, if they tear up, I think try to be comfortable with that. I know that it's hard to be comfortable with tears, but don't quickly Oh, I'm sorry. I, I hate that too. When I tear up, when the other person I'm talking to quickly says, oh, I'm so sorry. Don't do that. Really don't. Be okay with that. 
be okay with it and try to, even if you don't feel comfortable with it, try to act comfortable with it because that you don't want to make them feel guilty on top of it. You know, I, I think that's just a huge, huge point. So if now they see your feeling uncomfortable being in this grief place, now they're going to feel guilty. And that's the last thing they need is to put more pressure on themselves. If you act like you are an okay person to open up to about that, it's going to be so much better because maybe they are really struggling. Maybe they need to be set up with a counselor. Maybe there is something that you're going to be able to do. And if now, if you don't look uncomfortable with that subject being brought up, they're going to be so much more open to share with you what they need specifically. That's so, so powerful. And, and, um, you know, I don't know why it hit me so much, but you were talking about, you know, get their name as fast as possible. Yeah. And, and at first I was like, I'm not sure where, what that means. Are you think the name of the, your patient? Cause that would be horrible if you don't know your name, your patient. No, um, it's the name of the loved one. Yes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, what would I do? And I kind of, you know, think back to past experiences when I was younger and things. And I think sometimes when we're not, we're not comfortable, like an uncomfortable space. And as a physician, when you don't know it's, there's some uncertainty there. I think in the past, I may have avoided the names simply because you didn't know if that was appropriate or not, or what would happen if I asked this name, or, or maybe if I, if I asked for specific details, it's, it's, it's showing something, you know, maybe I'm going to pull off the scab and it's going to make things worse for this individual. But now maybe I'm older or perhaps from a wise conversation in, in your episode, like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Because now you're validating their loss. Yes. And it adds a sense of, of I'm interested in you and I care. I'm yes. interested enough that I want to know who they are so I can share this process with you. And that's just a powerful thing. So yeah, I'm willing to go into that space with you and not uh, feel uncomfortable and try to push it away. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just love that. And the other part that um, I wanted to ask you also, as I say, if you're asking their name and they're telling you, and now you can engage this conversation, it almost feels like if you don't know what to say and you, and, and you previously said, well, I don't, I don't have any words for this. What would you, what would your reaction be if, if the physician may be younger, older, someone who's just not comfortable says, you know what? I, I don't not know what to say. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm not even sure how to proceed. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know what to do is what, I mean, what I'm trying to say is if they're being vulnerable, is there a, is it not overloading you? Cause we talked about that, I think mm-hmm, off there, mm-hmm. but the fact to say is, you know, I, I'm not certain how I would respond to this. What, you know, what can I, what can I do? Or what, what you know, now I'm, I can't even frame it appropriately, but basically when you're coming, if someone comes in the room, is there something that you can, you can, as a physician sort of admit your own vulnerability that you don't know what to say mm-hmm. and yeah. ask them, um, in that space of, you know, I'm here for you, but I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, and that is important to acknowledge that I hate this. I hate that the griever has to be the teacher in many ways, but the griever does have to be the teacher in many ways. And so you can acknowledge that, that I'm not sure what I can do for you, but I am here for you. Uh, how would you like to go on? Do you want to talk about this some more? Would you like to talk about something else? Because it might be that they're here for an entirely different problem. 
-hmm. right? It might be, have nothing to do with it. I think you want to be able to say, I'm open to talk to you about this, to acknowledge that. But if we need to just talk about the other thing right now, that's okay too. Um, and I, another thing that I do want to bring up, I had a mom reach out to me a little while ago that uh, her, she, they had lost their daughter and their daughter had a complex medical problems. So she, she always had been very ill. And so she died, I believe she was about six and she came to another daughter's well visit uh, that was like three years old. And um, it was maybe three or four months after the death of their other daughter. And her um, three-year-old was having trouble sleeping and had been having trouble sleeping since the death of her sister. Even though her sister had lots of complex issues and they kind of had always known that she was going to die, the three-year-old was struggling with sleep. And she, the mom said, I think it's because her sister had died. And her pediatrician said, oh, I thought she'd have been over it by now. Mm. And I think, and I, I mean, it just made me so, it just made me cringe, right? And she, obviously it was one of those things that she said without thinking. Uh, you kind of think maybe that three-year-olds, these things kind of just bounce off and she didn't probably have a super close kind of relationship with her sister because her sister had really complex medical needs, but yet the whole family is still reeling. And so sometimes you need to, <laughs> I think, pause a little bit before you talk too. So that would have something that certainly she said that and shouldn't have said it. Um, but if you do say something particularly kind of dumb like that too, I acknowledge that too. I certainly would hope that if you say something like that, you go, I can't believe I just said that. Of course it would. Or just acknowledging that that was something that I said that I shouldn't have said. So uh, instead of sometimes just continuing to go on, um, you know, I, my son had his blood drawn once and it was a few months after his brother died and the, the phlebotomist said, asked how many siblings he said had. And and Peter just paused and didn't know what to say and finally said, I have one sister. And he looked like he was going about ready to cry. And the phlebotomist said, oh, well, you don't look too happy about that. You know, the fact that he had one sister. And of course, she thought it was a joke because he didn't get along with his sister. And then I said, well, he's, he's like that because his brother died a few months ago in a car accident. And she was, you know, horrified. She had no idea what to say. And instead saying something intelligent said, well, you've got to look on the bright side, which was just so stupid, right? I mean, there is no real bright side to having your brother just get killed in front of you in a car accident. And we didn't know what to say and she didn't know what to say. And so we said nothing the whole rest of the visit. I just was looking at her dumbfounded and she, I'm sure thought, wow, that was stupid. But that's the thing too. If you say something stupid, I think acknowledge the, that it was, that it was a, a bad choice, a bad thing to say. I didn't know what to say. So maybe these wrong words came out because um, I would have appreciated it at that moment had she 
apologized and said, I don't know why I said that. I mean, and that other mom certainly would have appreciated the pediatrician saying, wow, I shouldn't have said that. That, that even three-year-olds can certainly feel that there's something off in the family and can miss her sister. Um, so anyway, those are just a couple little examples of, I think, acknowledging when you kind of mess up too. Yeah. I think it's interesting about having an awareness about um, our coping mechanisms whenever we feel uncomfortable and mm -hmm. how many times we just, it's like almost a knee jerk reaction. We kind of out of discomfort, you're trying to placate the situation and realize that you stick your foot in your mouth. Um, I think I would, you know, I would hope that I'd say, I'm sorry, I had no idea at least something like that. Like, right. You miss, you realize you misinterpreted the, the, what the uncomfortableness. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you've made some really good points that, you know, to be present, to listen and to acknowledge and to not shame them, but also asking them where they want to go with that. If they would like to basically, what are their, their, needs or desires and mm -hmm. leave it up to them um, if it's a patient in front of you. Or Absolutely. Even because it might be, I really don't, can't deal with that right now. And I am wanting to deal with this other thing and I can't, but at least you've acknowledged that, that I know too, for the future, you're a safe person to go to, right? Today is not the day that I want to deal with that. Today I am dealing with, you know, I'm coming in for, high blood pressure or I'm coming in for some other check, but I don't want to deal with that today. But I know now that you are a safe person to talk to. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And that, and that can go for all kinds of realms of uh, medicine, um, whether it's sexual health, whether it's, you know, there's, there's other or psych psychological diagnoses. There's things that you, the way that you say things to your patients or acting uncomfortable will make them less likely to open up to you about the truth about what's going on. Um, so it's interesting that there's different kinds of discomforts and pains and um, stigmas that can impede our abilities to really be helpful um, mm -hmm. to our patients. Um, and it's funny because you say that because I feel like in areas of sexual health, for example, I think as physicians, we are trained to be, to not be shocked by things, right? I have, I have kids that I think sometimes just try to say something to shock me, to, to get me uncomfortable. And I am very proud of them being not shakable. You can say things to me. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I will put up the facade and not let you shock me as a teen. Right. Um, but when it comes to something like grief, I think it's different. I think we don't have that same kind of I'm not let myself get shocked. It's just, it's a different realm. And we let ourselves get overwhelmed with that and just quickly apologize and back off instead of being open to it. You know, you made me think of a really interesting situation as physicians and training and loss that we deal with when we lose patients. And I'm curious mm -hmm. how you, and maybe you've had experiences with colleagues that not just lost a family member, but how we as a medical system I mean, this is, this is probably could go down another uh, rabbit hole, but I'm just wondering if, if you see some correlations because maybe because of how we don't really step in and help 
colleagues maybe as much as, you know, maybe different, different places, but as a general culture on helping us deal with overwhelm of losing somebody that we just took care of and we got to move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? I think you're right. I think we don't do a good job with that for sure. Um, and, and that's why I think I feel like the newest generation of physicians, I really would like to change that, right? When, P, when medical students are in their training or residents are in their training to kind of talk to them at that point to be able to not just turn off those emotions because that's what we're taught to do. We're taught you be professional, you turn it off, you turn it off. You can't, you can't turn it off because first of all, that's when you end up getting in a bad place yourself, right? If you're forced to turn things off all the time, that's when physicians end up in pain and physicians end up in painful situations. And we have certainly lots of troubles with physician and physicians and suicide when they're not taking care of their own mental health. So I think teaching physicians to that they have to turn off their emotions is just not healthy for them. And it's not healthy for our patients because now we're not a, a source of comfort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's powerful. Yeah. And I, and I think that brings up um, something we talked about the first time is there's this balance between uh, vulnerability. And at the same time as you, you don't, you have to be in a position, particularly as a physician, but as someone who's going to be supportive of someone of grief, where they're not now taking care of you yes. into your grief. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I do think on the physician side, we tend to default to the stone wall. Vulcan, mm -hmm. you know, I have no emotions anymore. Um, but, but where, how have you found, or how have you talked with people to, to kind of to have that balance where, where you, you want to be vulnerable as a physician, you want to be supportive as a physician, but at the same time, you don't want to go step over that door where now, uh, now you feel like you have to take care of the physician because the physician's losing it in the process. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's why I ended up having to be on leave for a very long time, right? I had to take a prolonged leave of absence because I wasn't in a place where emotionally I could care for others. And I didn't want, I mean, at the beginning when I tried to go back, I was crying between every patient. You can't do that. You can't do that and care for patients well when you're barely hanging on yourself. So that's where it took me a long time to feel like I was strong enough that I'm going in and I'm giving care now again. I'm giving care and not needing care. I mean, I certainly appreciate when my families acknowledge my loss, when they give me a card, when they give something, I appreciate that. But at the beginning, I couldn't actually even function properly because I needed too much care. So, and that was what I chose to do is I chose to just step away really until I could be strong enough. But yes, and your other point is now when you are dealing with loss and dealing with a family who's lost, you do have to acknowledge their loss is certainly much greater than your loss. And you do need to be the one to support them. It's just, you don't, you, you can't be um, just a brick wall. You have to show some emotion, 
but not be a puddle really that, that they feel like they have to care for. Cause that, that is difficult too. And I experienced that a little bit where I felt like you need to take care of me now. I can't take care of you. Um, when other colleagues were supporting me right after Andy's death, um, they needed to still be the ones to offer support. And so they, they better be strong enough to be able to give that. Um, Cause sometimes it's just a little too close to home. I, I went to my doctor shortly after Andy died and her nurse had lost her son as a teen uh, in a car accident. And for a bit, she couldn't take care of me. Right. She put me back the first time, but then when it came back to give me some more information after the doctor was done, a different nurse had to do that because I think she felt like she was, it, it just was too close to home for her. So she couldn't care for me in the way that I needed because it was going to expose her vulnerability a little bit too much. But honestly, by the time I came in later, she saw that me on the schedule and she bought a little um, glass heart for me to hang up in my office to remind me of Andy. And so once she had a little time, I think, to prep and to, um, to prepare for me coming in and felt like she could offer me some strength, then she really did. And it was actually very comforting to me. I really enjoyed seeing her more than I enjoyed seeing another nurse because I felt like she could understand me and give me some support. But when she was in a place where she couldn't, that was too much, right? Uh, not too long ago, I had on my schedule very, very suddenly <laughs> went up. It was just on the schedule as um, recheck hospitalization. Well, I learned right before I was going to walk in that it was a teen who had just survived a car accident. And, but I didn't know until right before I was supposed to walk in the door. Well, I couldn't do it. I absolutely could not do that. It was too close to home for me because, of course, my son had been killed in a car accident. So he was, he never got to have that visit to recheck him after his prolonged hospitalization for a car accident. So the, I had to have a different one of my partners go in and do that because I didn't have the strength to support that family through that at that moment. It, interestingly, I think had I had a little more time to prep, for it, I may have been able to do it fine. I mean, maybe not, it's hard to know, but at that moment when it was just thrust on me, it was too much. I knew it was too much. And so I asked for help and I asked for someone else to do it for me. So I, I think it's important to know what your limitations are, to know when it's too much um, and to ask for help when it's too much. Again, so many powerful things I got out of this. So action points that, that, that I think are really important, and, and Marcy, please obviously tell me if I got these wrong, is the first one is if you're in the process of encountering a patient, client, or whoever, family, or, or friend, and they've lost someone, that, that asking the name, who is it? If you don't know what the name, know it, you know, figure out the name, ask them what the name is, that's okay. And it gives mm -hmm. there, there's some- uh, And use, use their name in conversation. Not, I'm sorry I, you lost your daughter. I'm sorry about the loss of Jennifer. Mm -hmm. um, that must be really 
challenge. It must be really horrible for you. I mean, not saying I know how you feel because you don't know how they feel, but acknowledging how terrible that must be, the loss of that specific person. I know when any, anytime anyone ever emails me, the very first sentence in my email back is, is saying that person's name every single time. And then the second part with that was as, as physicians, as being human, is recognizing a sense of vulnerability and being uncomfortable being uncomfortable, where mm-hmm. acknowledge that if you don't have the right words or you don't ha- and you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say. I don't have the right words. And that's okay to do so. Um, and then the last like really big, big takeaway that I, I got out of this is, and I think, again, as physicians, we're not very good at this. No. is ask for help. If we're in a situation where, you know, like if you were talking about with where it's too close to a personal loss, where we haven't had the ability to recover, kind of go through and, and, and figure out how, we're, how we would process that to ask our colleagues for help. And, and hopefully you're in an environment where your colleagues will recognize that that's okay, that that's okay to ask for help. You know, I, it, mm-hmm. that's a whole, you know, that's a whole other, I, I'm just thinking about it. I'm looking at the, how the medical system sits up. We, we have absolutely no capacity in most of these departments. I'm reminded of that picture of the ER doctor in, I think it was in New York, who was, they showed him in the parking lot or her in the parking lot, I can't remember, after they had lost a patient. Mm-hmm. And they, just for the two minutes, they could take a breather. And then it was like, get back in there. You, you know, you have 42 patients and da, 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 da. And I, I understand that that's just the, the, that's how things are set up in the same token though. Um, yeah, we got to do a better job of supporting our colleagues mm-hmm. of, of recognizing these processes and recognizing the grief that we're going through, recognizing the loss of a, of, of, of a patient. I mean, even when you're in medical school, I think most, I lost my first patient in medical school. I can still mm-hmm. remember that. Oh, uh, sure. You know, and then, and then as you kind of evolve through this and Man, we just do a, need to do a better job. So thank yeah. you for coming on the show. I, I, I think you're definitely right. And you know, that image of that ER doc that needs to go back in, I, we understand that that's reality. But I also, I hope that that isn't always the exact reality, right? Mm-hmm. I That's what we need to be able to change a little bit is that kind of understanding and being able to talk to somebody for a few minutes. It's getting some support. When you go back in, you get a little bit of help for a little while. Just people understanding that you're not a robot and we can't be robots. Um, I, I don't know. I think about the, the physicians, the role of physician is always like this fixer, fixer, fixer. And then the role of a nurse oftentimes is much more of uh, uh, giving more emotional support, like nurses can do that and then physicians can't. Well, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It really is ridiculous that we can't give some emotional support too. I totally agree. I, I think everything that you've been saying today is a reminder of personalizing, like when you say the name mm-hmm. and in essence, humanizing the experience and we need to do a better job at acknowledging that component of physicians that seems to have been stripped away by the very nature of our training program in the system. Mm-hmm. And um, I think our patients, we, you know, it's our patients only benefit 
from us changing that um, as best we can. Uh, of course, we're still dealing with the same system, but mm-hmm. um, but you know, I really I wanted to remind people that you know the work that you're doing at Andy'sMom.com and the podcast is uh, losing uh, losing a child always Andy's mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but people can you know just go to Andy'sMom.com and find that podcast, and it's I think a reminder of the need to listen and tell stories and, and understand the plight that people have in front of you and acknowledge it and ask them where they want to go with that. And uh, just being there for them and not necessarily being a fixer, but perhaps being more of someone who walks in that journey with them, if they want that and be a healer or a teacher, whatever role you need to play, but not necessarily be a fixer. Mm-hmm. And just even being able to sit with them for just a few minutes in that moment, in the grief is a lot. Mm-hmm. I certainly am happy to talk with anyone who wants to. I do feel very passionate about trying to help medicine in this way. So again, you can get a hold of me at Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at andysmom.com. And I'm happy to speak to individuals or groups or anything like that. Awesome. Kevin, any, any last uh, questions or are we good to close out? Well, I, I, is, is all, there's so many more questions to have, <laughs> but you know, Marcy, thank you so much. I mean, um, I've learned a lot from this. I have some, some really strong takeaways and, and just, just some insights that you gave just really profound insights. So thank you so much for that. And uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Really, really appreciate your, your journey and, and appreciate what you've, you've taken and done. Uh, it's just amazing. And I really appreciate the time you're spending with us today. Oh, thank you so much. And before we head out, just one last thought, because you just came to my mind right now is that I realized in difficult situations when it's hard to find the right words that sometimes just your nonverbal communication and looking at them with concern and maybe placing your hand on their hand, depending yes. on how they're receiving you mm-hmm. has been my go-to for, I just realized in ICU, I've withdrawn care several times on patients and when I didn't have the words I just either held their hand or placed my hand on their shoulder and just be with them and that Mm -hmm. was the only way that I knew how Um, so you just reminded me of of that being present being present in the moment Mm -hmm. that's right well thank you for being present with us today and for those of you listening out there uh, this is the change physician i am your host dr melissa k with my co-host dr kevin kakaro and our wonderful returning guest dr marcy larson we'll see you next time thank you for joining us today on the change physician podcast if you've enjoyed this episode please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com and while you're there be sure to check out the free book giveaways guides and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.